Today's episode of Idol Weekend is brought to you by Bombas, a great place to get cool, creative, and above all, comfortable socks. Go to getbombas.com weekend to get 20% off your first order. Welcome to Idol Weekend. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, all the holidays that you have. Merry Festivus, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Solstice, whatever it is. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week, and in this time, to wind down another year, basically. Uh, 2016, so it's the end of the year, and that means it is goatee time. We're going to have a very special episode where we talk about our games of the year. Rob I'm going to let you open up the floor. I'm going to let you I'm going to let you have first pick. This is sort of like I don't know if you do this in your family, but uh for Christmas, we do presents like we take turns. It's like, "All right, I open one, you open one." Oh yeah, no, you got to take turns. You got to yeah, take cause turns. It's polite. It's like, like what like when someone's gone a few minutes without opening a present, it's like everyone's got to stop and make sure that yeah. person opens the present. Yeah. yeah. Uh and <laughs> what is <laughs> what is in the first box for me? What is what is the first gift of Christmas? What is the the first goatee? Um, yeah. let's say it has like a red, it's like a nice red little box. It has a little green bow on it. It's got, you know, a little snowman tag. Just give it a Very little cute. shake. Yeah. Sounds like a strategy shake. game. <gasps> oh, let's see what's under this ribbon here. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's Homeworld Deserts of Croc. Oh, yay. We, we, had a, we had an entire discussion about this on, on Three Moves Ahead. And the, and the funny thing is, like, this usually doesn't happen. Like, a lot of times my favorite game of the year ends up not being my favorite strategy game of the year and, and vice mm. versa. Like, a lot of times it's, it's something from another genre. Um, but in terms of, like, it's real close, like, between this and, like, Dishonored 2, for instance. Sure. But... Homeworld, I think, had the surprise factor, and that's why it's sort of sticking with me here at the end of the year. Like the other thing to mention here is like Homeworld came out in early January. Like Yeah, it was the, super early. Nobody even remembers games that come out in January when it, when it's time to discuss <laughs> games of the year. Uh it's yeah. like those games didn't exist. And yet, like, the new Homeworld ended up being one of like my favorite uh mem- memories of the year. And and part of that is because it was it was such a pleasant surprise. Like it was really nice to see a an RTS done in that style um, of a manageable scale that really departs from a lot of existing like design conventions. Like it's not aping StarCraft. It's not really aping more modern relic RTSs. Like Homeworld Deserts of Croc is kind of doing its own thing. Yeah. And in addition to that. I think it has a really, really enjoyable campaign, a really wonderful art style, and um, so it really doesn't. It doesn't just scratch that that RTS itch, but like, it's a game where you can really appreciate the spectacle uh, as well. Like, it is just so beautiful watching these like tank battles across the open desert and these massive like uh, like sand based air aircraft carriers, these like sand crawler style aircraft carriers, uh, just sort of like churning over the dunes and like going over these little like sand mountains it's 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 awesome uh so i i think for me like that ended up being probably the most purely enjoyable uh experience experience of the year like 
I'm not going to I'm not going to like sit here and say like the story is one of my absolute favorites. Like it's not it's not a world building game the way Dishonored Two is. Sure. Um, and it may not be like it may not be as like as impressive a strategy game as like Hearts of Iron Four is, but there is something about a game that knows exactly what it wants to be, knows exactly what it wants to evoke, and just nails every single one of those goals. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's how I feel about my my middle pick. That's exactly how I feel about my middle pick. I'm oh, gonna I do, think I, I'm I, gonna think do, I know what it is. I think mean, I know what it is. I'm gonna do a thing where I go from the middle and the top and the bottom so you don't know what order I'm going in. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I have it ordered. I have a, I have an ordered list <laughs> for sure, because of course I do. But, but yeah, Pokemon Sun and Moon knows exactly what it wants to be. It wants to be a really good Pokemon game that happens to have the cutest starters. Well, okay, I know everybody's gonna have an argument about that. I think it has among the cutest starters. It has like these nice little twists and turns and it's actually like a little bit harder, a little bit more challenging than your average Pokemon game. And it's set in this sort of like lush, beautiful island paradise. And it kind of tweaks like certain things that were maybe a little bit annoying in Alpha Sapphire uh, or Omega Ruby or, or the sort of X and Y, the sort of, you know, the first next generation Pokemon that came out a few years ago. And it's just such a good game and it is the ultimate comfort food game i know i play it before bed every night when i'm stressed out right now rob it's end of year there's a lot of shit going on uh but it like me and poplio we have like a nice adventure every night at bedtime it's like a beautiful bedtime story and i really love this game and i know i know it's not like Oh, you know, the game that took the most risks or or did the most extraordinary things. I've I've got a few of those on here as well, but oh god, it just it's just a really 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 well-made, really polished game that is precisely what it sets out to be. There's there's so much Pokemon. to be said for for games like that. Something I I experienced well not just this year, I experienced it a lot, but um there's a lot of games that I almost feel like I need to be in the exact right frame of mind to meet yeah. them. Like Dishonored yep. was one of those games. I really enjoyed it. I've been meaning to get back to it. Yeah. And yet I've been putting off my restart because it's like, I've just got too much going on. Like this is not, I'm sorry, this is not a night for Dishonored. Right. Like, as much I as mean, I would enjoy that, yeah. I just, I can't, like, I'm sorry. It's just, it's just not the right night for that. I'm not going to do that to Dishonored. I'm not going to do that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas, like, a game like Homeworld, it was very much like, it's always the right time. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's always like, come on in. Let's just, let's just have fun. You want to you wanna push some tanks around, some, around a big sandbox and just, like, nuke the shit out of some people? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds, that sounds pretty good. And, yeah. you know, the game's like, and it's going to be pretty and it's going to, like, sound great. And it's not going to demand, like, too much of you. It's not going to be, like, completely overwhelming. It's going to be just the amount of, like, mental stimulation, just the right amount of, like, visual excitement. Um, and, yeah, it's just going to be it's just gonna be kind of a pure, uh, you know, kind of chill experience, which is something that is actually kind of rare, uh, I find. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of games that... It either feels like I need to be in the right mindset for them, or they just don't fit. They just don't fit my life at all, and they make no effort to. 
Uh, Homeworld just was was kind of always it was always the right game at the right time. Yeah, I I also want to honor in this entry. It's not the same game, but like just saying like my 3ds made me happy this year. Like it definitely did. There weren't maybe as many games. I'm I'm always kind of like a you know there's only ever really one or two games or, or maybe three a year on my 3ds that I play, but I really really play those games and i and i played quite a bit of mario maker 3ds as well on my uh nintendo 3ds this year which which was really just sort of an infinite mario stage player uh which you know for me is a great and wonderful treat considering how much i love mario and love 2d platformers in general uh but yeah i mean pokemon's getting pokemon's getting the nod this is just the sort of like the other thing on my 3ds this year was also cool (laughs) So I think it's time for you to open another present, Rob. Okay. What's, what's that one over there in the the blue okay. hound's tooth? Uh, well, <laughs> now I feel like we're starting in opposite directions. Like I started with like one, like maybe my absolute best, sure. and you started I think from just somewhere in the past. I did number five. Right. Actually. Right. Yeah. So right now I'm like, should I should I go to the bottom now and like should I meet in the middle? Should I just keep? I'll just keep working down. Like you do your own thing. Yeah. I'll do mine. That sounds good. That sounds good. All right. It looks like my next gift of Christmas Ooh. has some strange runes on it. Oh, so there's some runes on there? There's some runes on it. It's making kind of a, it's a weird, there's a weird whale song coming <gasps> from, coming from inside. It's from the outsider. It's Dishonored 2. Whoa, there's runes and a whale. Dishonored 2 is so good. It is so good. And I think it's so good despite the fact that I don't think it ever comes close to succeeding as like um a political drama or political tragedy the way the first sure. game did. Like the first game had does a brilliant job of like introducing all the principal players in the opening of the game. And it sort of you can see their you can see their flaws, their false fronts, and the rest of the game is about delivering on the promise you see uh in those early stages. Dishonored 2 I don't think ever pulls that off. The, the 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 main characters are, are never quite as um never quite as compelling uh as I as I would hope. I was I was yeah. always sort of left wanting to like just have them established a little bit better. But that's completely overshadowed by the fact that Dishonored 2, even more than the first one, lets you inhabit this world. And and I think that the thing it really nails is that world building is not just like packing stuff full of lore or like jamming like lots of like cool little tableaus into a level. Though Dishonored Dishonored Two has that stuff in spades, but Dishonored Two really masters the art of implication. Like the more you discover about the world, the more space is created for your imagination to start exploring more of the Dishonored world on your own. Like, there's there's so many, like, cool throwaway um, details. Like, the fact that in the early part of the game, there's a lot of references to, like, the oracular order. Yeah. Um, and you sort of think, okay, it's going to be, like, you know, some group of mystics, right? Because the world of Dishonored already has those elements. So you kind of expect it's going to be some sort of weird, drugged-out cult type thing. And then just, it's sort of thrown away, but the oracular order, the principal advisors to the throne, 
is actually a discussion group of women. Yeah. Like you, you discover that it's just like it's like thirty women, and it's like a debate club, and they're all expected to like research the shit out of their topic and discuss an issue. Yeah. And it's so cool. And by the way, I'm like, that sounds pretty good. Like that's that sounds like a dope government. Um, but the 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 point is though that like you hear something like that and it creates a bunch of questions. You know what I mean? But it also creates like, you can start to imagine how that works and the way that, like the way that order would work and how their discussions would be. You can imagine like what, what sort of society ends up settling on that as, as a policymaking, uh, as, as a policymaking, uh, forum. And I think that's where Dishonored 2 really succeeds is it starts unveiling so much of the world of, of Dishonored and Dunwall, but with each new like revelation, it's also making it ever more enticing because because it's always like there's even more to this than you thought. There's more to this world than you expect, and that makes it feel like a real place that you're inhabiting and escaping to. And as weird and like screwed up as that world is, it does feel exciting and exotic and and kind of hauntingly beautiful in a way that I could not get enough of. Uh, it's funny to me because this is your number two game. It's also actually my number two game. <laughs> okay. Um, so we're we're in agreement on this one. We're on per- we're in like perfect sync with this one. I think you yeah. know placement wise and everything else. I, I I agree with everything that you've said about sort of the world building and the the sort of sense of space and place in this game. And also, I just feel like it's level design nirvana. Oh like, my god! This yes. is this is the best level design. You know, as a as a like as a person who plays games and who like, you know, has just only kind of dipped their pinky into anything resembling level design or, or game design and just feeling like this is a master class on how to construct a 3D space where a player can feel powerful in, but not overpowered. Uh and and a space and in a space that reacts with, you know, sort of systems that react to everything you do and everything that the other systems are doing in such a way that like always allows for surprise, always allows for player choice, always allows you to actually have, you know, very valid choices uh, for how you want to approach any given situation. Like I, I liked the first Dishonored, but like, you know, we've talked about this a couple of times, right? I, I kind of fell off it at one point. And part of that is because as as much as I like stealth games and I've I've gotten a lot better at stealth games in the last four years, you know, when I played the first Dishonored, I didn't I hadn't played almost any like real stealth games. I at least had, you know, played a few Deus Ex games and in, in between, you know, and, and a few other kinds of things. Uh where now I kind of feel comfortable with that formula, but I also get really impatient. Like there I have I have times in Dishonored where I'm like super patient and I'm watching everything and I'll watch for like 20 minutes and I hear every bark and I know what's going on and I I know who's where and what's going on. And then I'll have moments where I'm like just impetuous and I'm like, eh, fuck it, I wanna know what's over there. And the game lets me sort of eat crow if I need to, but it also lets me sort of get out of situations, uh, like especially using the sort of the shadow walk ability. That is my like, you don't necessarily yeah. get out of jail free, but you have a chance. You at least have a chance at, like, getting out of that without killing people if you want to do, like, a low, whatever it's called, low chaos playthrough. Or or you, you can basically get out without totally fucking up and killing 20 people, which is sort I played the entire first Dishonored trying to do things stealthily and then killing five dudes every time I fucked up and then being like, man, I didn't, 
I didn't super want to murder everybody. It wasn't like my intention. I just suck. No, it's, <laughs> like, it's constantly like that, that first Jason, that first fight in the first like Born Identity movie. Yeah. Where like something just happens. And the next thing you know, like just in a blur, you've killed like eight people. And you're like, oh. And, it, and it's like, fuck, dude. I bet, I bet that guy has kids. Like, you know, and like. And I love that you can, you know, that you can use the heart in this game and yes. actually sort of get a sense of of how shitty or or how really decent some of the people are. And and it's like this really sort of subtle system that says like, hey, you know, people are complicated. And even though this isn't, you know, it's not like a a, a super in depth mechanic, but it it does actually comment on like hey you know what there's like really nice people who are guards and there's really shitty people who are guards and you get you get sort of the chance to see both sides of that and i think that's rad and awesome and like a an extra layer on top of this it just this just feels like what happens when you give incredibly smart people who know what they're fucking doing plenty of money and actual trust to make something genuinely special and i love whenever that happens in any media you know I, I i love when that happens in film i love when that happens in tv i love when that happens uh you know in anything that requires a, a budget to kind of do justice to it. it it just feels like yeah this is what they wanted to make and it's fucking great <laughs> and i have to shout out the um i'm i you know we're recording this a couple of days before you hear it but i i am still trying to finish up the game i'm in the crack in the slab mission uh the the time traveling mission oh my god i am just like i'm sitting there playing this game and both i am both enjoying myself as a player and i'm also like taking notes in the back of my head like god what a fucking smart design decision like oh my god the, the ability to like use this tool that lets you kind of switch between timelines and get like a little magnifying glass view of what it would look like and and then sort of make your decisions from there is like the smartest design decision that it, I'm just geeking out over it. I think it's amazing. And that's just like one level in the game. Every level has, has you know, I, I think every level is pretty great, but that one for me so far has been the level. That's it, like, it does sort of feel yeah. like every, every level though has this really like distinctive idea behind yeah, it. Like yeah. the, from the asylum, the asylum is this like classic, like Victorian horror uh, novel, right? It's, it, yeah. it's, it's totally a, a, a a, a like Jekyll and Hyde uh, type type situation oh, you find yes. yourself in, and just even the way it's lit, right? Like, just like when you when you encounter the Doctor in that like shadowy laboratory, the lair almost, um, yeah. Oh my god, it's so <laughs> god, it's so gorgeous. And like, I mean, this is this is kind of like the thing that I just can't get enough of with Designer Two. It just feels like everybody was on their A game, yes. like like yes. everybody was doing their level best. And their absolute yeah. best work on this game. You know what I mean? Like nothing, there isn't a single like room that isn't lit. Like they're expecting to either shoot like a noir masterpiece <laughs> or like immortalize it in oil. Yeah. Um, like everything <laughs> is just like spot on. I just, I love it so much that like, even if the narrative doesn't fully deliver, the the world is just so lush and suggestive that I just, I can't get enough of it. Uh, so... We we sort of shared that gift. What is, <laughs> we kind of did. What is your next gift? So I'm going, I'm taking a look at this gift, and this is towards the end of my list. That doesn't mean I don't love it. It's just towards the end of my list. And I'm honoring this one. There's like, oh, man, it's really, it's like a really colorful 
wrapper. There's a lot of neon colors in there. There's a lot of pink and okay. blue and green. And it, it looks like really friendly. And I'm opening it up. And it's Overwatch. Oh, my Yay. goodness. I got an Overwatch for Christmas. Oh, no. But now I'm gay. Yeah, exactly. Now I'm Damn so it. gay. Yay. Overwatch <laughs> is gay. Oh, so Overwatch is a game that I think is a really good game that I've very much enjoyed playing. I have not played that much of it recently. I played a, a ton of it when it first came out, and it wasn't really because I fell off. I, I, there was a fuck up with my account, and Patricia gets mad if I play on her account. So uh, that's why I haven't played as much. But I have been completely enthralled and kind of in love with the Overwatch community, like the fan community and all the like really beautiful and really horny fan art uh, that has come out of the game. And I really sort of love what, um, what Blizzard is doing with the community, like really embracing the inclusivity of the community and being like, yeah, we made all these heroes and they re represent like, you know, just a diverse cast of weirdos and it's great and people seem to like that and Tracer just came out as a lesbian, officially as a lesbian. This is not by erasure. I say this as a bisexual woman. I mean... Uh, when I wrote about this, I was like, queer, we're going to use the umbrella term. <laughs> and then like a few minutes before we went to press, that's not press, before, a few minutes before we hit the record button on this podcast, uh, they actually gave a statement saying she is a lesbian. She likes only women. She's a woman who likes women. And only women. And that's fucking awesome. And it makes me happy. It warms my little heart. Uh, I just really enjoy these characters. I think they're in a very good and very well-designed game. Uh, and they just happen to be vibrant and colorful and a really fun sort of thing to engage in, even if you're not, you know, obsessively playing the game itself. Yeah, Overwatch... Um didn't make my list primarily because I just got to it too late and now sometimes it feels like when I go online I'm just getting I'm just getting spanked. Yeah. Like it it feels like and I know that's not true, right? I can just play down in the scrub leagues and just play like quick matches and it'll be fine. But I don't know, I've just got that like nagging and sort of yeah. what we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? Like the sense that you could perform better and if you're not, therefore you're a failure. So that's that's sort of you keeping me away from that game. Like I've, I really enjoy it. Um I, I think it is such a clever twist on the like team shooter. Um and you know, adapting so much of the MOBA formula successfully uh, is is really, really exciting. I have a few concerns just having, like, followed the competitive side of things. Sure. That there are some game balance issues that are becoming an increasing issue. Uh, the fact that, like, all tanks, all supports uh, seems to be, like, increasingly dominant concerns me a little bit, but that's, that, that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, and... So I had this weird fan art experience the other day. <laughs> Tell me about it. So a lot of the stuff isn't going to do it for me, right? Yeah, like, that's fine. I'm not <laughs> in it. Like, I find a lot of it kind of sentimental, and obviously, like, as a straight white guy, it's not really meant to speak to me. And you know, some of it's cute, sure, some of it's sure. fine, but whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But it, like, I, like to an extent, I'm are you a like, top 500 straight? Is that what you're trying to say here? Yeah, Jerome? pretty much. Pretty you're much. Top I, like, I, I, straight? like okay. I might go pro. Um, All like, right. I, might, I might be about to get a sponsorship. Uh, who knows? And team but, straight though, because you yeah, know, yeah, got. <laughs> I got you. 
I mean, like if like if, if the money is right. Yeah. Like well, I don't know. I could be like a ringer on the buy team, but like sure, everyone knows sure. I don't really belong there. Yeah. No. But anyway, so I haven't really gotten it. But then there was this thing that was shared the other day of yeah. Sombra and and Reaper and um oh god, who's the other character? But they were all making tamales. Um They were all making Point is Point is, so they were in like Reaper was in a Christmas sweater. They're all sure. gathered around a table. They got the <laughs> pot of the, the, the pot of mole and the, the corn husks and all that. And I kind of got it because I felt yeah. this weird rush of sentimentality. Yeah. Like it was like, this is like, and I don't get it. Like this is the, like a part of me is like even frustrated that like it got to me because it's like, <laughs> oh my God, this is so pandering. Like it's just like, it's just aimed at one of my buttons. Yeah. And it hits because apparently growing up in a Hispanic family, you put any group of characters I like around a table, like working together to make a batch of tamales, yeah. and there'll be a part of me that like gets fucking misty, yeah. and I'll be like, "Oh my god, they're like me." <laughs> it's oh. so true. They're they're sharing the tamale experience, and because yeah. like that's a huge deal in my family. It used to be right, like, yeah. and that's that's part of it as well. Is like the the people, the the aunts and uncles and grandparents who really drove um you know the the tamale days as they were called yeah. <laughs> some are passing on some are just sort of getting out of the habit but like growing up that was something that happened a few times a year right where everyone would gather around and you'd spend a day churning out delicious tamales and so this, <sighs> this piece of fan art yeah. like i'm like i don't understand like i don't understand like the appeal that a lot of marginalized communities have for for the sort of like, you know, this the silly the silly sentimental fan art. I don't fully get it. I'm above that. Oh, here's Reaper. <laughs> here's Reaper pressing a tamale, burst into tears. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you just needed something that spoke to you. Yeah, and that's yeah. the beauty of Overwatch. There's something for everyone. <laughs> no, but it was super. It was one of those super like, yes, at last, understanding Zachney. Welcome. You get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and even I, like, I'm, I'm about as, as queer a queer can be. And like, you know, I really like, I just, I, it's more that I'm like, feel so warmly about the community than I am like necessarily a, a, like in the center of it myself. I'm just so happy this exists. I'm just so happy that people are like, genuinely overjoyed to make this kind of art and like get so much out of it like like you know i like for mercy that's my ship right that's that's, mm -hmm. that's how i roll and there's some gorgeous and beautiful art and that definitely stirs my little heart like that makes me be like oh this is such a beautiful interracial couple and this is so nice and, and i love this and they're so beautiful together you know i do that whole thing yeah. Um, but but plenty of it doesn't necessarily speak directly to me. But I'm I'm just like, oh, it's so this is so fucking nice. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is just yeah. really nice. It's really nice that there's a community of people that like are genuinely so happy about these characters. And like, it's just a in a shit fucking year. Like in a year where we elected a a cartoon villain who hates women and you know like definitely hates people of color. To have like this this very happy and warm and diverse like crew of weirdos who also shoot each other in the face 
there's something nice about that that I just have to that I just have to respect and love. So my next uh yeah. my next game. Speaking of the rise of fascism. Oh yes. Oh, I think I know what you're gonna say. It's Hearts of Iron Four. Oh, the rise. <clears throat> rise of those iron hearts. Yeah. Uh it's a re- like I am just sort of impressed that it finally made the Hearts of Iron formula accessible. Because Hearts of Iron is always like the weirdo of the Paradox family in, in, yeah. in some ways. The, the the Paradox family of strategy games. Um, or at least it became the weirdo after Crusader Kings kind of broke through the main, mainstream experiment of uh, uh, yeah. acceptance. <laughs> but Heart, like Hearts of Iron 3 was like really, really polished, but still like fundamentally inscrutable. Uh, it was still very much a game of like you really need to have a good sense of how many of how many rare earths you need before the, before the war starts, and I'm like I don't know what that is. That never really never really clicked for me. Yeah. But Hearts of Iron Four uh, streamlines and simplifies so much, and yet it all feels like it it all feels like you are managing this just titanic global scale conflict. And it's it's beautiful to watch it unfold, you know, to see front lines like sort of expand across Russia and then contract and, you know, the the, the shifting battlefield in North Africa. Um, it's it's a spectacle. It's 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 crazy that you, you feel like you're kind of orchestrating it. But uh, as 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 Rowan Kaiser sort of pointed out on Three Moves Ahead. Uh, on, on on the show we recorded the other day for for our games of the strategy games of the year, um, it's also just a really cleverly like it's a war game, but even more than that, it's like a production management and efficiency sim, hmm. and that's actually yeah. kind of the 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 real heart of the game is just making sure that you're always producing like the right mix of war material, and it like it's just endlessly. It's sort of endlessly satisfying to sort of tweak those tweak those values, and always try to like line up what you're building with what you're what the war is consuming. And it, when you get it right, it feels amazing. Like you know, your tank divisions are always like fully armed and and ready to roll. Um, you've always got air superiority. But man, when you get it wrong, it can be pretty hilarious too. Like you, yeah. you can you can botch that, and then suddenly it's like, well, congratulations. You have about eight thousand single seat fighters, not a single bomber, and you have twelve tanks in reserve for your entire army. Good That's luck. What you get. Yep. <laughs> so it's trying to win the war. Yeah. So it's like it's it's really really cool because like it's it is a war game, but fundamentally like while the the battlefield actions matter and it does have just some really fun interface touches like the fact that you can draw like assault plans for your armies and then sort of like have them all go at the correct moment um is, is really really cool it's is visually fun but it's also neat to see a game model the positive effects of planning because uh, like in a lot of other strategy games there's literally nothing to stop you from just sending an army into someone's country and just taking it over like surprise attack style and in hearts of iron it's like no man like armies require some prep time like you can't just you can't just sneak an entire army onto a border 
and like no one sees it coming and nobody nobody knows like nobody expects it it just it, it doesn't it doesn't really work that way you need yeah. to you need to give your armies time to like prepare and lay in supplies and, and get ready to get the job done um and don't give me those blitzkrieg counter examples because like <laughs> like the russians should have known the germans were there they basically did they just chose not to believe they, that it was about to happen. Anyway, uh, so there's there is that war game angle, but but it is funny that like sort of the real meat of the game is you sort of reaching your tweezers into the bottle and sort of like adjusting these little levers to be like, hmm, perhaps a couple more of these tank variants, <laughs> and perhaps I will put sli- a slightly bigger engine on this fighter. Yes, that's good enough. I will let that run now for six more months. <sighs> one of these days, Rob, we, I keep saying it, but one day I'm going to get into one of these games and it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful moment. I, I just, we're going to have something we can share. It's going to be so beautiful. We have many things we share. I'm just saying yeah. we'll be able to share that someday too. I'm, I'm so interested. I am so interested in this world. I, God, I've, I've been, not that this is directly relevant, but I have been listening to like the hardcore history podcast, like nonstop. I've been, I've been going through the blueprint for Armageddon, which is his world war one series, which is obviously it's not the same thing, but I I have been primed to start thinking on this scale, this, this sort of, uh, general worldwide theaters of war. I think I got a game for you. Scale. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think I have an easily digestible game. That especially if you're starting to cover the World War I uh, thing, I would highly recommend Commander Great War. Okay. Because um, it kind of, like, I was stunned at, like, it's a really simple strategy game in a lot of ways. Yeah. But it actually brings out a ton of the dynamics you've read about in books. Like, without requiring, like, without, with, without being, like, totally unmanageable, it totally gets at the weird trade-offs between fronts and, like, the constant shortages of supplies and like mm. the strategic dynamics of who's going to join what side. So yeah, I think that might be a good point of entry. But but that's a topic for another day. Right yeah, now, you're right. You've got another present. I got a present to open, and I'm going to open my number one present. Let me okay. Go right to the top. I'm going to just tell you this is the top, and you're not surprised, and it's okay. And it's even the ocean. <laughs> okay. It's a game I've talked about. Wait, I don't want to talk about it too much because there was an entire episode where I talked about evangelizing a game and wanting to be honest and just pure with my intentions and just show like, hey, I just really like a thing. And I really want to tell you what I like about it, but it's not like a fake instinct. Uh, but it really ended up, um, there were so many games that I loved this year. I think this was a great fucking game, uh, excuse me, year for games. And... You know, it was a it was a year that had really strong start. There's you'll you'll see later on. There's there's several sort of earlier in the year games here, but like, man, did this last season just holy shit! There were so many good games, and even games I'm not even remotely interested in ended up being really cool, and uh, that's amazing, and it makes this difficult. But even the ocean is something that just it just hits so hard and all the things that I really love not all the things but you know so many of the things that I really love it's like a really really good 2d platformer a really well-designed 2d platformer it also has hey it's got some messages it talks about some things that matter in the world and it talks about some things that matter in the world like 
organizing and political power and environmental justice. But it also talks about them without being preachy. And because it sets itself in this completely sort of beautiful and gorgeous, you know, 2D pixel art, 16-bit style, just beautiful, beautiful world that has all these weird features and bizarre things. And there's like a soup that you can eat that makes your dreams look like these big gummy worms in the sky. There's all sorts of weird stuff. I love weird stuff. <laughs> Heard it here on Idle Weekend. I love weird stuff. Um, it, it just has so much and it, and it and it coheres into a really wonderful sort of finished product. I, I just really loved this game. This game was my Dropsy this year. Last year, my favorite game was Dropsy. And that was also like a totally weird thing that looks a little retro, but actually has like a very sort of pointed uh, statement that it wants to make and also has a lot of like fun humor and, and weird stuff in it. Uh, so yeah, I think even the ocean is amazing. I know it's not on a whole lot of people's radars uh, and I don't want to keep sort of banging away about like, ah, it's a hidden gem, but I really do think it's a hidden gem. I really do think it's it's fantastic. So I'm, I'm, I feel very comfortable putting this at the top of my list this year. So I think my... Now it's your turn. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm just going to like, here's my no surprise at all game, uh, and that's going to yeah. be Total War Warhammer. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, there isn't a ton to say. Like, literally, the title, like, says it all. And how <laughs> sure. you feel about that, like, that title will probably tell you whether or not you'll enjoy this game. Um, it's, the to it's a Total War game, but with Warhammer Fantasy units yeah. does that sound cool i think, I think so. so yeah i mean like i don't know like i just i only know the basics obviously but i it sounds like a cool thing i know that the total war games are super well regarded as as somebody who's primed and interested so yeah sounds cool yeah uh and it totally like delivers on that on that fantasy um like it i, I think the thing it does really successfully is it integrates like fantasy like super units into a game without having them completely hijack it or um, make it or turn it into just nothing but like a clash of the Titans uh, situation. It reminds me a little bit of like age of mythology in some ways where like the stuff is still wondrous and like, there's still like amazing stuff happening on the battlefield, but it all just still works as, as an RTS. I think this succeeds even a little more because it has this like sense of scale um, the super units are fewer and farther between, but they are also like much more impactful. So like when a giant spider, for instance, like enters the battlefield, um, it does feel like just a nightmare is suddenly unfolding for your troops. Right. And like, you know, it's, it's just like ripping through entire formations of soldiers. Uh, it's very, it's very Lord of the Rings movies, uh, in that regard. Yeah. And it also does like really clever, like things with faction design and the way they all have their own unique, uh, strategic dynamics that you have to take into account, which makes every game with a different faction kind of feel like you're playing a different Total War game. So, I mean, there's no, like... It's sort of the opposite of Homeworld, right? It's like, there's no surprise here. Uh, it just does exactly what it says on the tin and does it really, really well. Um, and it absolutely, like, delivers on... It, it absolutely delivers on kind of what you were expecting for and doesn't fall into any of the uh, the pits that you might have been worried about. So, highly recommended there. Sounds like a good present to open. I am going to open one of my more surprising ones. Or not more surprising, just something okay. we haven't talked about maybe as much. Uh, but, but something I thought was 
really, really cool. When I was sort of going back over the games I played this year, I was like, yeah, man, Event Zero was great. <laughs> okay. Um, which is, yeah, it's a smaller game. It was a, you know, sort of an indie first-person adventure on a derelict spaceship, and the spaceship was from an alt history that, that came from the 1980s, so there's all sorts of rad 80s sort of design. I mean, the real draw of this game was the fact that uh, instead of talking, instead of being talked at by like a Shodan or a, you know, um, Atlas and Bioshock or whatever else, there's sort of an hyper-advanced chatbot uh, who is called Kaden and has like a really, really distinct and sort of quirky personality. And you're, you know, you're sort of going around the ship and you're getting little clues and you're solving puzzles and you're doing stuff like that. But you're also, you're always talking to Kaden and, you, and you know, you're just using your keyboard. You're actually asking questions and, you know, saying things. And like, you know, I, I liked complimenting Kaden a lot. And, and uh, I don't remember the gender. I'm just going to say they because I don't remember the gender of the, the AI bot. You know, maybe be respectful. Um, they just were always like, oh, thanks. Yeah, you too. You know, you're doing good, buddy. Uh, it, it just was such a unique and fun twist on you know the sort of like walking simulator but with puzzles uh kind of kind of game you know the the ship in a bottle sort of thing you know um that i typically do enjoy i I typically like this sort of thing i think adrift was sort of trying to be that but more more of a spectacle this year and i thought that was interesting and cool but nowhere near as as sort of well executed as event zero was event zero was much more um you know, sort of a, a more modest in scope, uh, although there was actually a little bit of spacewalking towards the end, which was pretty cool. Uh, but it, it just was such an awesome little story uh, with this really cool character that you're interacting with in a fun and natural and kind of different way. Uh, so I really, really, really liked events here towards, towards the end of my list, but still definitely makes it this year. So I think... Um... A game that I've gotten into a lot here toward the end of the year is Darkest Dungeon. Ooh. Which, uh, it is, it is one of those games that it's like, it's like, it's like popcorn. You just can't stop eating it in, in some ways. Like it's like the, the, the thing I've really fallen into with Darkest Dungeon is like every, like it's, it's got such a wonderfully satisfying loop that I just can't get enough of. Um, you know, you like after you've completed a dungeon raid, you go back to town and you send your group of adventurers to all these little different like buildings. It's very like worker placement Euro game style stuff where it's like, okay, like, so you're going to go pray and reduce your stress level and you're going to go to the brothel and reduce your stress level. And I need to know which of you which of my characters is really into different leisure activities, right? So, like, the religious person isn't going to get as much out of the brothel as they will from, like, meditation. So you need to take that yeah. into account. Uh, who's going to get, like, uh, skill upgrades? Uh, who is going to get better gear? You don't have enough money to pay for all this stuff. So, like, what's what's the highest priority right now? Uh, and then once you've allocated all that stuff and you've committed sort of your roster to all these, like, um, like, character development uh, exercises you go on the next dungeon raid and you have to like select your party of four and figure out like what's the of the people who are like ready and available and ready to go like what's the best like most synergistic party composition 
that you can get. And based on that party composition, like which abilities should they have activated for this mission? Because you can't activate all of their abilities. So like you need to factor that in. And then you play like a little like 15 minute dungeon raid. 15, 20 minutes, like it's super long, like maybe 30 minutes, but it's like it's all really like bite-sized. And it's really well tuned. So like it rarely feels too easy. Okay, sometimes it does feel like way too hard. <laughs> but nevertheless, like so you go through all that. You have like you 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 play this fun like turn-based RPG combat. Maybe you succeed, maybe you need to know when to pull out. It's got a really great like risk reward like there's a few cool like risk reward elements to the entire thing. Like the darker it gets, the more dangerous it gets, but like the richer the the loot rewards. Um do you keep pressing on or do you bail out? Um, and hero death is permanent. So it's like everything is super, like everything matters. And you finish all that and it never fails. I'm like, whew, that was a lot. Okay, I need to take a break. Little, little, little break from Darkest Dungeon. And then I'll literally go do like one other thing. Like, I don't know, like I'll pick a sock up off the, off the bedroom floor and like put it in the laundry. And I'm like, maybe one more mission. <laughs> so it's yeah. just it's it's just so good it's such a good management sim it's such a good like turn-based tactics game um it just it just nails it man i love it oh man speaking of nailing it we're gonna take a very very quick break to hear a word from our sponsor and we'll be right back danielle Christmas is over, and I just realized. I forgot to get my Aunt Marge anything. You forgot Aunt Marge on Christmas? Rob, how could you? I, I don't know how it happened. I, I haven't seen her in, in a little while, so I guess she just kind of slipped my mind. Oh, how awful. When you need a gift that says, Hey, Aunt Marge, I may not have remembered you in time for Christmas, but you're never far from my heart. But what gift could possibly convey such a nuanced holiday sentiment? How about an order of Bomba's socks? They're the kind of gift that says, I thought long and hard about giving you the perfect gift, and even if it's a little late, it's something you'll really appreciate the whole year through. Whoa, that sounds perfect. Where do I go to get this gift? You go to getbombas.com weekend, and you get 20% off your first order. And the socks you send your aunt won't just be stylish, but they'll be quality. With long staple cotton, honeycomb arch support, and a reinforced footbed, Bomba's socks are perfect for a woman who has slaved on her feet for her entire life for the people in her family. Uh, actually, Marge took it pretty easy most of the time. Then we can't have those pampered tootsies touching anything but Bomba's, can we? And Bombas are perfect for Marge to do some good, even when she's got her feet kicked up on her favorite footrest, because Bombas will donate a pair of socks to a homeless shelter for every pair that you buy. Wow, that's an incredible deal. I'm sure Aunt Marge will love the gift of Bombas, even if they are a few days late. I'll be sure to head over to getbombas.com weekend to get 20% off my first order. Aunt Marge is going to love these socks. Oh, that was a really good, was a really good ad. I'm, I'm glad I got through the ad, and now it's time to uh, open another present. Rob, give me, give me a number from. Uh... Actually, you know what? That's not going to work. You know what? I'm just going to pick one. I'm going to pick one towards the top, kind of in the middle, but towards the top. That's going to be Mafia Three. 
Okay. Okay. This was yeah. on my list. This was on my yep. list. But, yep. but. Yeah. You play so much higher than I did. So let me have it. <laughs> I, you know, my, my feelings on the game are honestly the same as they've been. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to go on and on about it. We did talk about it. I just think it's a, a really good, really well done uh, open world game that actually has a story that not only matters, but is really good. I think the framing of it as sort of a documentary about this, you know, sort of this period of time with the CIA, you know, CIA investigating, you know, sort of this drug cartel and what was going on with the Italian mob and then sort of the black mob and the, the Haitian mob and all these other folks who kind of got together in this down home Louisiana, basically New Orleans city and all this this shit happened. I think the characters are fantastic. Even if they're kind of archetypes, uh, they're great. The characterization is awesome. Uh, the story missions are great. I still do think there's way too much kind of busy work in that yeah. game, for sure, by like half. And I, you know, hearing about that game, apparently they cut a bunch of stuff and I'm like, whoa, you still had too much shit. But it was a really awesome sort of core experience in a really cool place to explore. I, I did my thing that I always do in open world games, which is literally run around the world. I'm sometimes driving, sometimes actually just running on my feet because I could, you know, look at stuff and kind of hang out and get a feel for the place. Uh, I think Lincoln Clay is a really, really interesting character, a really interesting sort of leading man. And I, and I just generally like that it was a game that took race fucking seriously and actually you know, put its weight behind it and said, like, hey, you know, some really fucked up shit uh, happened in our country and happens still every day. This is still, like, a really relevant uh, game, especially the way they've they sort of made it a mechanic that, you know, cops in rich white neighborhoods will be watching you so much more vigilantly than, than watching you in, in poorer neighborhoods or black neighborhoods. And it's like, dude, that's brilliant. I, I think that's, like, actually really brilliant the way that that is handled. So... So yeah, maybe there's some maybe there's some roughness around the edges with this game, but I still think it's awesome and kind of important and also like a really good, you know, sort of crime. You know, this I I'd rather play this any day, even with its faults, over a GTA that just doesn't give a shit about anything. <laughs> if that makes sense, um, maybe it's more polished. But this this like it feels like actually playing a character who who matters and and I give a shit about him, and that to me will go a long way. Over over the polished, you know, but soulless kind of experience. Yeah, I don't know if I I don't know if I'd, I'd be quite that harsh with GTA, but what I will say is like, Mafia Three is a game that is aware of America of America yeah. in a way that GTA guy GTA games pretend they are. Yeah, like it's... Mafia Three feels like a powerfully American game. Um, there are a lot of things in that game that really resonate with not only like you know current events but but just but but just like a lot of like historical currents right like there's this brutal line um oh god who's your who your first uh, your 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 henchwoman the 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 Haitian oh, gangster Cassandra I think Cassandra yeah 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 um there's this brutal line early where Lincoln is defending his sort of adoptive father's um achievements and and why he sort of served the white gangsters and you know cassandra's like he you know he let all this stuff go down he let you know the the the, the italian mafia run roughshod over us and 
Clay, you know, says, you know, he, he did his best. And she just looks at him and says, and yet his best didn't amount to much, did it? And it's just such a brutal verdict, but it also is so resonant with, like, the rising 60s, like, civil rights movement, right? That, like, what was good enough 20 years ago isn't good enough anymore. And there's kind of a resentment of, you know, the people who went along, like, you know, who, who went along to get along, uh, as it were. Um, you know, there's there's so many good moments like that. There are some really good uh, missions out there in that open world. There are some objectives that are pretty hard to take down that you need to you need, need to think about. Like I had to I had to rob a cop bar, and yeah, I couldn't just go in guns blazing because like there's a million cops there. Yeah. So I had to think about like different ways to approach that. Um, and yet, and yet, yeah. There is so much open world cruft, and yeah. like every like I'm always like man like. Mafia 3 is really cool. I can't wait to play some more. And then I start playing it and it's like, all right, you want to go beat up these drug dealers? And I'm like, God, no, I don't. I really <laughs> don't want to beat up any more drug dealers. And they're like, well, how about some smuggling? Would you like to go get a weed delivery? And I'm like, that's even worse. Yeah. That is so much worse. There's a lot of driving. And so it's like, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's weird. I, I think there are so few games that have succeeded in making the open world sandbox and actually engaging playground. And I don't think Mafia 3 solves that problem. Like Mafia 3 is my like it's on my list because there's so many interesting interesting things happening in it. And I really do love Lincoln Clay as a character. I love his CIA buddy. Uh, John Donovan. Yeah. I think that's his name? Something like yeah, that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, his name's sort of a, a call out to sort of the founder of the the OSS. But also like the dude is real bad. Like yeah, he's, he's a, a bad dick. guy. Yeah. But it's one of these, like, it's a compromise that, like, Lincoln has to make. Like, fundamentally, these guys share a bond and they're buddies, even though this guy's a fascist creep. You know what I mean? Like, he is, he's very much um, sort of a character out of that uh, that Good Shepherd movie, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Like, there's <laughs> there are all these interesting currents uh, in the game there's so much good writing and so much smart writing and awareness of, of, of the time and the place. And then it just breaks my heart every time <laughs> you take that setting and all that, all that thoughtfulness and the game just sort of, shr- you know, has to shrug and be like, all right, so how about you steal a car and drive to this place and kill some dudes. <laughs> and along the way, yeah. you're probably going to accidentally run over some people. Cause like, look, not gonna lie, the controls aren't that tight. Like the cars <laughs> just kind of float. Like everything, everything is a boat in this game, whether it's on water or not. Yeah. Uh, but just, just roll with it. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah I mean, I like Mafia Three is on my list because like it's at least it's at least addressing these issues, and it's 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 addressing them pretty well. It's just a game that like God, I wish you were so much better. I wish. I wish we had figured out a way to make these open world settings more compelling as as a place to like sort of play and explore. Yeah. Yes, I do agree with that. I do agree. With that. Don't get me started on racist carnival amusement park. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. That's what I'll say. <laughs> maybe not maybe not the finest hour. Yeah, no, I mean it was Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Speaking of unpacking, 
Rob, do you want to do you want to open another present? Because I technically opened that one, so you can you can open. Okay, it okay, but yeah. I think I think this is another one we might share. Oh, good. Okay. In the next box, yeah, we have Doom Three. Yeah. Well, Doom Four, but yes, Doom Four. I know what you meant. Yes, I'm sorry. I thought I thought we had nothing but threes this year. You you want to put a, it's a new flashlight Doom. on a on a gun? I understand. No, yeah, I don't. I don't. I really don't. Although Doom Three isn't quite <laughs> as bad as it's remembered made out to be. No, no, it's still no. Not very I, good. I don't. Yeah, I'm I'm totally cool with Doom Three. Doom Three is not like a. It sucks. I'm not right. one of those people. But that's but that's last year's game. That's the last decade's game. Yeah, no, new Doom. 2004 or something. It's right? number free Doom. Mm. I really love the new Doom. It's, it's real really good. good. And it is on my list, too. You were correct. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I guess to that to that theme of games knowing exactly what they want to be. Fucking right. Uh, Doom really sort of boils everything down to its essence. And I think also does a really good job of disguising just how com- complicated it actually is. Like, totally. Like Doom requires a lot of encounter management. Like that game, you need to flow through these encounters. You can't like run to some cover and like huddle up there and just mow people down. Like that's not going to work. You're going to get killed. Yes. And depending on what monsters are in are in the encounter, although the imp is is weirdly the the thing that will always be one, the thing driving you out of cover. Yeah. Um you always need to be sort of cognizant of what you're up against, where everything is at any given moment, and where your next opportunity is to deliver, like, um, I don't know what they call, but, like, the killing blows that both restore health, but more importantly, give you that, like, heartbeat and a half to plan the next thing. Yeah. And so, like, it's it, it's it does a really good job of, like, coming across, like, oh, it's fast-paced, it's ultra-violent, it's, like, doom stripped down to its essence before all this other crap was loaded on top of it but actually that's all bullshit because it's secretly like a super tactical like monster monster uh monster battling game uh it's practically turn-based with those execution moves like you are constantly like move pause consider move it's it's really really good uh and it, it 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 does that without ever feeling like it's slowing down yeah I, I agree completely. I love the aesthetic. I love how unapologetic it is. And it's like, we're going to be doomed. But I also really, really love what you're saying right now. And it's sort of getting me to think, like, that's the kind of strategic or ta- tactical. Okay. That's the kind of tactical that I'm much, much better at than actually thinking three moves ahead. Um, like, I actually, I'm very happy and comfortable and capable of sort of moving at those speeds. Uh, and managing those kinds of rooms and being like, I knew this, 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 and this because it's happening. It's almost like I'm thinking with my hands. It's like I'm thinking with my body instead of, you know, deliberately being like, yes. I have to think about this, um, which I think is my stumbling block with, with you know, something like chess or like a slower paced strategy game. I actually trip myself up a lot and am not great at sort of finding the through line of moves. But something like Doom, which presents... You know, some of these tactical situations, I'm like, fucking right, man, I can punch this guy and then that gives me a second here and then I can do this because I'm just reacting. And I'm so much more comfortable when I'm sort of just reacting than when I'm consciously sort of, you know, having to plan things out. And and that's like a really good thing to think about and a really good thing to know. And it, it makes me happy that like, yeah, this game kind of allowed me to feel good about myself again, about video games. It, it It's a weird thing. There are times my confidence 
goes down a little bit. And this this game made me actually feel like, yeah, actually, you can figure this shit out and execute literally. And it's good. So, yeah. I also love the sense of humor. Just like the the corporate bullshit that like permeates every like level encounter. It's well, we do need like we're running low on energy, so I guess we just need to import it from hell. (laughs) Yeah, like it's so good. Let's just open a hell portal. That's what we do in 2016. That's what we literally did on the election. The fact there's like OSHA advisories on like what to do like if a demon is in the workplace or adjacent to the workplace. Like it's so good. I love that stuff. Yeah, it's really, really perfect. God, that tone is so nice. I also really love it as, as like a game with a lot of secrets. Uh, you know, I love poking around. I love looking at all the little details. I loved finding those sort of classic style levels in, in it, the little secret levels. That was really, really fun for me. It felt very, it harkened back, uh, not just to sort of the aesthetics of old Doom, because obviously it did that, but like the feeling of of, you know, actually really being rewarded for poking around in a game and not just getting like a doodad, but actually finding like, oh, this is a little secret world right here. That's amazing. That's cool. You know, it feels like a lot of games don't want to hide their content now, you know, because it feels like an economic risk or something. But it's like some of those levels are actually really, really well hidden. And I and I wasn't going looking at a fact for them. I was just genuinely really happy to to find things and, you know, sort of dig around and play in that way. So, yeah. You know, in that, it's actually a lot like Dishonored, where, like, it does a good job of, like, hinting that, like, you can see something over there, but can you get to it? You know it's there, like, but can you unpack the architecture and, like, figure out how you can get over there? It does that a lot. It's one of the few games that I engaged with on that level this year. Yeah. Oh, so good. I'm going to open a, uh, I'm going to open a quirky present. Really quirky. Incredibly well done. Um, I haven't heard a ton of talk about it around uh, too much goatee times. I, I mean, with one exception, with the, with the Austin Walker exception. Uh-oh. Uh, Uh-oh. But Uh-oh. Uh, I think Quad Cowboy, Quadrilateral okay. Cowboy, okay. was absolutely rad. I, this was my first Blendo game, by the way. Uh, not, a, not a thing that I guess I've discussed previously, but God, it was such a really, just a really good puzzle hacking game with such a distinctive uh, sense of style. I know Blendo games all kind of have those cardboard uh, box people and that, you know, have, have a lot of style to them and a lot of kind of grace in the animation and so on and so forth. Like simple but graceful kind of movements. Um, but man, I really, really dug this game. And it was, it kind of, it came out over the summer right around when, I feel like it was, it was right around when uh, No Man's Sky was doing its thing, whatever that was. And uh, and this was like this tiny little little gem that just kind of snuck up behind you during a heist and 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 had like this really awesome interface for the, you know, for the hacking. It kind of was like a command line interface simulator with with this kind of really cool puzzles that were always built into uh, these these heists in these worlds. I just really liked it. I just thought it was a really well-designed, really cool, stylish little thing and it had this a real sense of personality to it too i mean i know i know that's supposedly a blendo thing but as as a blendo noob i was very impressed by that as well uh so my my next game is uh from earlier this year but it's it's ended up being one of my one of my favorites uh banner saga 2 oh yes i still need to play that Mm. Yeah, you like because because you you liked Banner Saga one. I loved and, it. And yeah, this is like 
way better. Like, oh, at first man. it didn't seem way better. Like, it seemed better, but, like, more of the same. No, it's it's actually, like, there there's so much more to the combat now. There's so many different, like, unit <sighs> types. Um, it's just, there's a lot more to dig into, uh, just, like, as a tactical game. Uh, yeah. that's, that's super, super satisfying. But then also, like, uh, the, 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 the story is much more, um, the story in the first game was good. Yeah. But this one, you feel the weight of your choices a lot more. Okay. Um, it's much more, it's much less black and white and a lot more gray. Uh, especially because, like, one of the major characters in this game is, um, this, this, uh, giant mercenary, uh, Bulberg. Mm. Uh, who can kind of go, like, two ways. Like, he is part of a, like, roving, almost feral band of mercenaries. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of this, like, terrifying berserker dude. And you're kind of, with his campaign, you're really pulled in two directions. Uh, On the one hand, you can just go completely feral and just become, like, every man for himself, like, you're either with us or against us and just start tearing across the countryside, like grabbing what you can, you know, being out for numero uno. But if you start trying to be a little better, it is a real struggle to maintain that. Like this is a character for whom goodness does not come naturally. And there's a lot of things that are buried about this character that start bubbling up over the course of this game. And so like on the one hand, you're, you've still got the group of refugees under Rook. Um, or a lot, uh, that, that, you know, that's a very familiar story from Banner Saga one. And that, that, that part of the the game feels very similar, uh, in, in, in many ways, but this other group, uh, feels like a real, like heart of darkness, uh, type Mm -hmm. game. And that's actually how a lot of this game feels is like Banner Saga one is like, um, you know, it's just the first act. It's, it's the flight from the terrifying, like apocalypse, the unknown. This second game is much more like, all right, we need to go, we need to go upriver. You know, that's, that, yeah. that's kind of how it feels. That's where we got to go. Yep. yep. So. We'll get her go. Yeah. <laughs> you need, you, 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 you need to stay on the boat. Yeah. Is, is how it feels. So like, I highly recommend it. Um, it's. It, like I worry about this game because like it no longer feels new, right? It looks like oh, it's more Banner Saga. Yeah, but it's way way better. Like Banner Saga one was great. This one's even better and is like totally delivering on the promise of the whole series. So oh. I think like more people should play this. This is one of the best. This is turning into one of the best tactics series out there. Like who wouldn't want XCOM meets visual novel? Mm. What kind of sick bastard? I be I really need to play this. I'm, uh, God damn it, there's more 2016 games I need to play. Ugh. But it's so, it's, it's a good problem to have. It's a really good problem to have. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a controversial uh, present. I'm going to open a controversial mm-hmm. present. It's not mm-hmm. really controversial because unless you're like super anal about it, then it's fine. But I'm going to pick a game that technically came out last year, but it came out this year on the platform that everybody actually played it on. And it's also the, like, whatever Game of the Year edition and all the DLC came out for it and all that shit. And it's not, it's not what you're thinking, because I did not play enough Blood and Wine for that. Um, Damn it. 
We missed our chance. Well, I should say right now that I am mad at myself for not playing nearly enough Blood and Wine to actually really consider it for Game of the Year stuff because you know full well oh, I yeah. would take an excuse to put Witcher 3 <laughs> like in a top three games of the year again two years in a row because Blood and Wine was like from everything I hear is like another entire game. I just have I, barely I've got touched people, it. Like, I've got people who were, sent, who were telling me like, oh, it's better than The Witcher 3. God damn it, "Hmm." I know. (laughs) I know, and it's like, oh, God, and I haven't touched Witcher 3 since, like, you know, it's been a few months at this point, and I'm like, oh, God, another chance to put it on a top 10 list, but I couldn't take it because I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. So, instead, (laughs) here's a game I beat (laughs) this year. Um, It's Rise of the Tomb Raider, uh, which I think is, uh, you know, we talked about it at the beginning of the year because I played it in, like, January, actually. Uh, and then it came out on PS4 in January or February, early in the year. Uh, but uh, it, it kind of, I felt bad for this game in a way because it felt like, you know, so so much as you feel bad for a game for not getting the very arbitrary, you know, top 10 list, uh, <laughs> whatever consideration. But it kind of came out, I think, a little too late for a lot of people to have played it in 2015. It came out like right at the end of the year and only on Xbox One. Uh, and then on PS4 with all its DLC and everything this year, and holy fucking shit, this is a way better Uncharted game than Uncharted. And, and Uncharted 4 is pretty good, too. It's a pretty good game. But this is, I think, the best video game-ass video game uh, in the adventure, sort of action-adventure vein. Uh, I think the, you know, Doom is probably the best video game-ass video game in the shooter vein this year. And this is this is that for that, that sort of more action-adventure. This you is know, an exciting awards category we're developing adventure, here. Adventure, like. yeah. You know, uh, getting the Jeff Keighley Game Awards, yeah. whatever they're called now. Uh, <laughs> Most RPG-ass RPG. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'm telling you. Uh, but yeah, this this really is just a phenomenally well-designed game. It, it gets pacing so perfect. It just has a, a gorgeous, big, beautiful world to explore and a lot of interesting things to do in it. It, it you know, in in one sort of short segment you'll be shooting a bunch of dudes or fighting a bunch of dudes. In one segment you'll be doing stealth. In another segment you'll be doing a little bit of crafting. And the crafting is actually fun and makes sense. And you don't feel like you're just running around the world, you know, hunting things the way you might in a in a Far Cry game. No, this is actually like, yeah, okay, I can get three feathers. I've I got those from playing the game. So great. I'll make a thing. Uh and in another moment you'll be platforming. In another moment you'll be in a one of the best parts of the game are, are those sort of uh these secrets tomb levels where it's entire there's there's usually i don't think any of them really have many or even any enemies in them they're all about puzzle solving it's like solving a cool 3d puzzle uh that just feels so awesome and so satisfying and they're, they're totally optional you don't ever have to go in them but they're great and you should because they're probably the coolest thing here uh the story is a little stupid um but i didn't care you know this is one of those where it was like I like this character. I'm down with her. I'm down with her, like, general mission. I like her buddy, her, like, sidekick buddy who shows up every now and then. He's all right. The sort of uh, general overstory was like, eh, this is dumb, but whatever. I'm having so much fun shooting and climbing and, and spelunking and swimming and doing all this other stuff that I just don't care. This is a cool video game, and I like it. <laughs> Yeah, I need to uh, I need to give that a shot. It's it's sort of on the backlog behind Tomb Raider, uh, as a matter of fact. Oh, so totally. That entire series is starting to to back up uh, a little bit, and 
There's 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 too many games. Uh, too many good there's games. Too many. It's too um, many awesome games. And then also Blood and Wine. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I think my next game is this is this is this is my weirdo. Yeah. Uh, Twilight Struggle, which is oh. just an adaptation of the Twilight Struggle board game, but it nails it. Like it's it's a perfect adaptation. It's um. It preserves everything that's great about the game. It feels like the board game, uh, but just a hell of a lot more playable. And making it more playable and more, therefore more accessible also makes you appreciate Twilight Struggle uh, a little bit more. Because uh, my, my buddy Bruce Garrick actually pointed out that like he realized playing Twilight Struggle on PC that he didn't know the end game very well. Because huh. if you just play the board game, a lot of times it's actually over before the late Cold War. So the way Twilight Struggle plays out is there's three eras. There's early Cold War, right after World War II. Uh, mm-hmm. There's mid there's mid Cold War, uh, which is sort of your Vietnam era into like you know uh, the start of the Reagan administration, basically. Sure. And then there's late Cold War, where the game starts getting really swingy because uh, mm-hmm. it starts trying to resolve itself, basically. Uh, but there's a lot of like really volatile cards uh, brought into the mix. There's a lot of like major political developments that can cause like huge surges in support uh, for the, you know, for the communist or uh, Western side. Um, So it's, it like actually makes a major part of this game much more accessible that like, if you were just playing the board game, you probably didn't see very much of uh, because the game would end before you really experienced all those dynamics uh, but it ended up being like one of my games of the summer. Uh, like my my roommate at the time, like he and I spent a number of days just sort of like laptop to laptop uh, playing through Twilight Struggle. Uh, it was it was a complete addiction. And so like you know it's not a new thing. Like Twilight Struggle is old news in the board gaming world, but having it be this accessible and digestible is totally new. And uh, it's it's sort of easily one of the one of my games of the year. Uh, it's it generated so many fond memories, um, and it's sort of not my preferred way to play that game. That sounds really rad, Rob. I, I've got one more present under the tree. Okay, just one left, uh, but it's a good one. It's my number three pick of the year, and uh, I get take a drink or whatever, whatever the phrase. But oh, yeah. Um, it's a it's a game our friends made. <laughs> uh, okay. It's, it's it's Firewatch. Uh, as the year went on, and I started thinking about the games that I think about that I still, you know, I I know I really like something when it kind of creeps into my thinking at times when you know maybe when I don't necessarily expect it, but when I when I just like sort of think about something and I'm like yeah, yeah that was really that really hit me somewhere. Um. And Firewatch is absolutely one of those games. Like, it just, the story itself is is good and understated and mature in ways that, you know, very few games are. I think some are, certainly. Usually more in the sort of alt-game space. But this is a, this is a game about a shitty fucking situation and, and a terrible relationship and a terrible strain and life actually really happening. And it's, God, it's just... So well done, and I like that it's a kick in the pants every step of the way. You know, some of the stuff with the, the sort of mystery that's going on didn't quite land for me, and, and as time has gone on, I've actually kind of forgiven it a little bit for that. I've I've kind of been like, you know what? I There have definitely been times in my life when I was going through a fucked up situation where 
I was very prone to thinking weird and, and bizarre and conspiratorial things, maybe. Maybe not in this fashion, in this sense, but, like, there are times where you're so stressed out that you think some weird shit, and, and I'm kind of like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll give it that. I'll let that kind of uh, be in its own corner. I also think it's it's just maybe the most beautiful game I played this year. And and this is this is going up against some stiff competition in the looker department. I think Dishonored 2 is utterly utterly beautiful. Beautifully art directed. Not necessarily always beautiful. There's a sort of sickness to that world for sure. There's a lot of rats and blood flies and ugly shit, but it's all so stylized and kind of awesome looking. And I think even the ocean is incredibly beautiful as well. Um, you know, all these games look good pretty much in their own way, but I, I think Firewatch is truly, truly beautiful. And, and the way, the way it was lit, the way it's animated, the way it, it sort of feels to be in that world, you know, I'm somebody who really likes hiking in the woods and I like that as a place to go for sort of mental health and getting a break from the rest of reality. So that aspect spoke to me as well. I'm not a middle-aged guy. I mean, I know that part, you know, is, is different, but... I I really disliked Henry in some ways, but I also really felt for him at all times. And I felt the same way about Delilah. She's 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 kind of fucked up too. Um and I but I really felt for her. Uh so yeah, that that's probably the game story and the characters uh that that really 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 impacted me the most this year. Uh yeah, so for my last game um Hmm. My last game is like I don't know, like after that uh, beautiful sort of discussion of Firewatch, I'm like <laughs> Can this really be my tenth game? Like it, it sort of gets this honor like it's it's it gets a nod, but like Alright, so here's the deal. My tenth <laughs> game Yeah just in terms of something I really enjoyed, but like I'm not i I'm not holding it up as like high art or anything like that. I fucking really liked Battlefield One. There's nothing like, wrong with that. That's fine. I really yeah. enjoyed that game. And like in part, like it's a gorgeous game. Like Hell there yeah. are things and moments in that game that are just completely like take your breath away gorgeous. Uh including even like some silly ones, right? Like in the first campaign, uh it's there's literally so the first campaign is like these these dudes in this tank in the second battle of Cambrai or Cambrai. Um going behind enemy lines and outrunning the British advance and getting trapped back there. And there's this point where they're like getting swarmed and overrun from all sides. And it's, it's very like uh Das boat or fury. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, those, those two movies yeah. uh, it's, it's a bunch of guys like just trapped in a metal can together God, uh, and all yeah. the pressure, uh, you know, inherent in that. But there's this moment where like the officer in charge is screaming, like release the pigeon. Because <laughs> uh, it's the only way of like getting a message back to uh, the front lines, uh, and so. But the weird thing is, you go from this like just absolutely insane gun battle, all hell breaking loose, it's just deafening, and you release this goddamn carrier pigeon, and then you fly as the carrier pigeon. The game oh, turns God. into World War One flower, basically, yeah. uh, as you just soar majestically above this like hellscape of destruction. And you fly back to the British base. But it's like, it is such a jarring shift, but it's it's utterly gorgeous. Um, and this is something that, like, Battlefield 1 
has some of the best like vistas and natural light of any game I've ever seen. It's like up there with um, Uncharted 2 in terms of like making you feel like you're up in the mountains or down in the trenches. It is just, it is a gorgeous game. Uh, each little mini campaign has a distinctive feel. feel. Um, it's it's it, it carries off with a fair bit of panache, even if there is a lot of dumb shit uh, in this yeah. game. But the other part of it is, this is the most I've clicked with a Battlefield game since Bad Company 2, which is one of my all-time favorite like multiplayer games. Like This feels a lot more... Um, yeah, it, it feels like it's sort of getting back to that, right? A, a much more uh, like slower-paced, um, more destructible approach to multiplayer with like a lot more like dynamism in the levels, a lot more like destruction of terrain, which actually ends up playing a huge role in how you use cover and how you approach objectives. Uh, it's a really good mix of multiplayer modes. So like, you know, there there are games that I would I would hold up as like being more daring or or being a little more thought provoking, being a lot more thought provoking. But Battlefield One just like it was a shooter ass shooter. Um and and it's possible that like Titanfall would have gotten the nod from me, but I haven't played enough Titanfall too. Like I've sort of been putting that one off a little bit because like I just I need to be able to play that campaign when I have a little time to contemplate it. And I can really sink my teeth into it. But Battlefield's like, come on in, buddy. Why don't yeah. you shoot down some German fighters? And I'm like, okay. God, there's a literal part where you're shot down on top of a Zeppelin and then oh, you man. take over the Zeppelin. It is yeah. so absurd, but it's so good. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, I I really have been super interested in playing this game too. Again, from the sort of perspective of somebody who's actually really fascinated by this war and really kind of learning, honestly, for the first time, anything real about it. I, you know... I feel like I didn't get the best history education, maybe <clears throat> Catholic school. Anyway, um, so so I'm 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 super interested in this game. I've heard good things about it. I feel like we might legitimately have an episode in in January at some point, January 2017, if the world is uh, still there, um, where we actually like have like a top five games of 2016 that I didn't even play when I made my top ten list because I need to oh, play yeah. this. I need to play Titanfall two. I need to play Watch Dogs 2, which I've heard, you know, drops the ball in some aspects, but actually really does have some cool stuff as well uh, and cool characters and, and other interesting stuff. And I need to play several smaller games as well. But like those three like big games that came out towards the end of the year that I still didn't play. I need to play Final Fantasy. I need to play The Last Guardian. They're, they're like big games <laughs> that I just like still need to put some time into. Uh, that that I feel like, hey, they could have potentially even made this list. It's just there's a finite amount of time when obviously everybody's busy and, and has work to do and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, Battlefield 1 is on that sort of short list of things that are like, need to play them real bad. <laughs> Still need to play them. Um, I think we both had really awesome Christmas lists here. We both had some good presents. Yeah. I feel good like about these. 2016... Didn't give me a lot to be excited about, but it yeah. did give me some great video games. And I am super excited to dig into the things I haven't played enough of or I haven't played at all, right? Like, Yes. God damn. I'm not going to lie. After I get off this podcast, I'm probably buying Quantum Break. And then oh, I'm gonna play hell Quantum yeah. Break. I want to play that too. Because oh. Remedy and Sam Lake, like, I oh. will show up for anything. <laughs> it's going yeah. to be high concept, really dumb. But kind of weirdly yeah. thought provoking. 
Yeah, there's there's folks. We, we there's a thing we're doing at Waypoint for our our end of year stuff that, that folks have maybe have gotten a little taste of at this point. But you'll you'll see there there Quantum Break shows up a little bit, a little bit somewhere, All right. somewhere or other. So you know, we I've I've been I've also been teased a little on that one where I'm like, God damn it, another game I have to play. But it also, it sounds great, so it's, I can't complain. So yeah, it's it was a shitty, 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 shitty year where the games were really, really good. <laughs> and so I guess it's like, at least we had that. Thank you. Thank you, game developers in 2016. Thank you. You did your part. You know, you showed up. I don't know about everybody else, but you showed up. So thank you for showing up, game developers. Uh, so this is this is kind of a special episode of the show. We, you know, we normally have a mailbag and we have other stuff, but I think, I feel like this is a good singular place i feel like we did you know i feel like we did the do so to speak yeah for 2016 i feel like we put we put a little bow on 2016 so so we're gonna wrap up uh we're going to head out enjoy our weekends the rest of our weekends so this episode of idle weekend as usual was produced by yours truly and is hosted on the idle thumbs network oh sorry i'm no problem. No, because it fucking deleted a ton of my changes to some ads. So oh no! Notice that. So I'm gonna have to fix that before we record the ad. Could That's you uh, take us out again? Good. Yeah, of course. Sorry. So th- I feel like we put a little bow on 2016 there, and I think that's probably a good place uh, for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. So this episode of Idle Weekend was produced by yours truly and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about Idle Weekend at idleweekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at idleweekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at Idle Weekend. We want to thank you so much for listening and ask you if you do have a moment, please go ahead and, and give us a little rating on iTunes there. And if you have another moment, go ahead and tell your friends, tell your parents, tell your relatives. It's the it's the holidays. Maybe your your relatives all need a little they need a little something in their eardrums. And that little something is not a lump of coal, but it is our podcast. So go ahead and tell them about it. Uh, spread the word. It helps us so, so much. And we really, really do appreciate it. That is, that is my Christmas wish, that you go ahead and, and tell other people about our podcast. For Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo, wishing you the finest of Idle Weekends.